Greetings, 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 and greetings once again. Welcome to the silence of our friends, our Monday, Monday evening offering, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, and you are streaming with us live. You can really help our process and uh, help our goals uh, by reaching out and sharing right now the link if you're over on YouTube share the link with two or three friends and make sure certain that they know we're here and we will know that they're there uh, welcome them to the comment section welcome them to sharing their show ideas welcome to them to sharing their personal stories about disparities and inequities of people uh, black and brown in these yet to be United States um, if there are people outside of the black and brown community that have particular interests who are following us, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear about your questions, hear about your concerns. And even if we disagree, there is a space and place and time where you can disagree with people agreeably and not to be disrespectful. Uh, I believe that um, if persons make a decision to be lifelong students, students of life, to learn something new every day, um, that there's a position and place in time where we can learn something from everyone and learn something from each other. So help us over on the YouTube side. We appreciate you sharing uh, the link if you're watching, viewing, uh, live stream, Facebook Live, um, on my personal page, Georgia Matthews II. Welcome to the show tonight, um, our episode. I'm going to give you the topic in just one moment's time. But please, let's do a little housekeeping and make certain we are sharing um, the page and uh, sharing your your comments, sharing your questions, sharing particular life uh, events, life stories even. Uh, we have people who are help, uh, helping us to gather a body of information so that we can present balanced uh, ideas and balanced um, understanding to people, black and brown, our community, our uh, demographic in this society, these yet to be United States. And uh, there's, there's much the rest of the world, particularly um, the United States, can learn from people of color relegated to our experiences here, our experience and experiences here in America. Uh, so welcome. We appreciate you being right where you are. Help the channel grow and help the channel to remain strong. The silence of our friends. Um, the, the We were not here last Monday. I did something I rarely do. I took the evening off because I, I felt it was necessary um, to do so. And um, the week before, we started with this particular show topic, which was Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. And many times uh, in the face of the opposition of black and brown people here in America, where the uprising and the uh, accent has been uh, here recently in days of late, probably more so since the heinous killing, murdering of Mr. George Floyd um, um, by officers not of color. And it's kind of stirred up a consciousness, much like it was uh, in the days of the beginning, the fledgling beginning of the civil rights movement here in Birmingham, Alabama, when the worldwide audience by way of television 
had an opportunity to see Bull Connor and his egregious, uh, heinous treatment of people of color in uh, Birmingham, Alabama with the dogs, the fire hoses, and the paddy wagons as they were then known, the arrests, and there were multiple arrests of the children of the movement. It was, uh, there, there was an awakening of the consciousness, uh, first of all, uh, an awareness, then an awakening, because the rest of the world uh, lived in a capsule and did not know then about the treatment, as it were, of people of color, the disrespect, the inequities, the, the demoralization, uh, the pejorative uh, actions regarding people of color. The rest of the world just didn't know. And um, so television aided in bringing the rest of the world into the real experiences that people of color, black and brown, were receiving every day. Um, And then secondly, it brought uh, not only an awareness, but then an awakening to people that did know of just and uh, just how brutal uh, this post-slavery, post-Civil War world was, and in many instances still is. I believe the Black Lives Matter movement uh, uh, on the heels of Mr. George Floyd's murder has done the same, uh, brought an awakening to our world as well as an awareness. And so we're here today to uh, speak to this rhetoric this response and into me it's a bit of an inhumane one that comes from the other side of the fence where i mean the political side as well as the um ethnic side when they hear the name of the movement the 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 dubbed title of the movement black lives matter it awakens something in them and their retort, their response back is, well, all lives matter, particularly particularly believers, Christians. And so on that note, our topic tonight more specifically is, specifically is roll call. We're going to call the roll tonight. And before we get to all of that, let's do um, our general opening. Uh, many people will say to me, you're a pastor, George Matthews. Your hands are full. You pastor two thriving congregations uh, you have outside of this uh, global crisis. You have a fairly healthy traveling schedule. You're afforded the opportunity to minister to other pastors and other church congregation, all of which I'm very, very grateful and humbled uh, to carry out my assignment in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Along with that, however, many people would say to me, Uh, Just do the church thing and leave society alone. Leave the societal issues. Leave the norms and values. uh, Leave the mores of society. Leave that to sociologists. Leave that to the psychologists, psychotherapists, the activists. Leave that to the politicians because you're out of your field. Well, apparently someone forgot to either read the Bible and then there are believers who are entrenched with the same sort of idea. Someone either has not read the Bible, not read it all the way through cover to cover, which I have several times, by the way, 
um, or perhaps they have read the Bible. And we did a show once uh, on rose-tinted glasses, however you, uh, whatever types of lenses you wear uh, will formulate the, your, your worldview. But nonetheless, um, to that person or those persons who would say that to me, that I'm out of my field of expertise or should maybe perhaps even out of my field, which would require my interest um, or dictate my interest. Uh, here's another prong um, in this support to do what I'm attempting to do. The entire book of Esther, the entire book of Esther, E-S-T-H-E-R, is dedicated to the story of God using a Jewess, a female Hebrew, uh, ethnically speaking, uh, elevated to the position of the queen of Persia. She is the wife of Ashahiras, um, Ahasuerus, excuse me. And she is used by God to thwart the genocidal murder, this, the entire uh, plotted, schemed murder of her people. An ethnic story where a woman used of God is directed and assigned to speak truth to power regarding ethnic issues. It's just that simple. Um, Esther 414 Mordecai, who serves as her uncle, advises her that she was come to the kingdom for such a time as this. My God, a, a, a Jewish person from the ethnicity of the Hebrews, uh, the chosen people of God. Uh, and uh, in this time, at this time, in the, under the old Testament, these were only people uh, to, to whom and God was, would, was dealing uh, with which God was dealing uh, the Jewish nation. And so these chosen people of God has narrowed all the, have become narrowed all the way down to this one Jewess woman, and God raises her up to speak to political issues. Mordecai said to her, Esther 4.14, uh, did you not know that you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? In essence, he, he says to her, he said, Esther, they don't know you're a Jew. You're passing, and that's an old phrase, quote, end quote, passing as, as some other ethnicity. But he said, the, this is an issue regarding your people. And if you are not used by God, if you don't relinquish your abilities to God, if you don't cooperate with God, watch what he says. He says, in essence, if you're silent, God will bring deliverance from another place. In other words, there's a correlation between silence and deliverance. In other words, if the people of God are silent, then God has to raise up deliverance from elsewhere because he is about deliverance. The deliverance must come, but it is connected to the, the refusal, the refusal of his people to be silent, silent. Uh, let's go on. Uh, so we're going to get to this show. There are a few things I need to repeat, uh, every show. Uh, as an opening, Dr. King made the statement, uh, in the end, what will be remembered will not be the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I'll repeat it. In the end, what will be remembered will not be the words of our enemies, 
but the silence of our friends, those would-be friends. You know, remember, uh, Jesus was killed, murdered by the Roman government, but it happened at the hands of his Jewish brethren because they were silent. All the miracles, he healed people. St. Matthew chapter 15, everyone that was brought to him in one specific town, he healed them all. They were blind, halt, uh, withered, maimed, missing body part, silent. Uh, what happened to the 10 lepers of which Jesus healed each and the one he made whole as well as healed, silent. Where was the woman with issues, the woman with the issue of blood that was healed immediately? Jairus, where was he? Where was Mrs. Jairus? Where was Talitha, the daughter that was raised from the dead? Where was Lazarus, Mary, and Martha? Uh, where was the the woman who had the uh, the Canaanite woman whose daughter was grievously tormented and Jesus healed her. Where was the centurion? He worked for the Roman government and Jesus healed his servant. See, all these people were silent and because of which Jesus, our conquering king, was murdered. Uh, the silence of our, our, our friends, those friends, quote, unquote, of Jesus were silent. Nothing in the world, uh, Dr. King said in other places, more dangerous than Sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Two, two kingdoms, two worlds, uh, uh, two uh, epic proportions that uh, of classes where people fall. They're either sincerely ignorant or conscientiously stupid. Sincere ignorant, they just don't know. There's good people, well-intentioned people but they just don't know. They're trying to speak to issues of which they have no insight, no experience, um, no reach, no touch, uh, no felt value, uh, or they're conscientiously stupid. Stupid because, just the word that he used, um, they with thought, with education, they with learning, they with exposure, uh, yet make the decision to conform to ideologies and idioms that are less than fair, less than equitable. And so here's another um, person. I found this on a tattered uh, piece of paper. I wrote it years ago from Benjamin Mays, Benjamin Elijah Mays, uh, an American Baptist minister, civil rights leader, credited with laying the intellectual foundation of the civil rights movement. He makes this statement and uh, I read it somewhere, copied it down. If you're ignorant, the world is going to cheat you. If you're weak, the world is going to kick you. If you're a coward, the world is going to keep you running. I'll repeat it. If you're ignorant, the world is going to cheat you. If you're weak, the world is going to kick you. If you're a coward, the world is going to keep you running. So the premise of our show, of course, is to answer the question, why? You know, superior minds address the interrogative question of why average minds deal with uh, what, um, when, how. Um, but the, 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 the superior minded person to get to the root of it has to address and bring answers to why. Why are people of color generally treated unfairly and have been since their uh imprisoned uh, the kidnapped arrival into these yet to be United States 
Um, so we're dealing tonight with economic and law enforcement inequities, economic and law enforcement inequities. My question tonight is what gives? Uh, it's a question of racial um, equality in America. Um, when people respond to Black Lives Matter as a statement or as the dubbing of that particular activist group, and they respond by saying all lives matter, they in essence have said the truth, yes, all lives matter to God, but the question in the real issue is of the uh, one of mattering <laughs> to the extent, uh, do all lives matter equitably? Are all lives mattering to us all with the same worth, the same value uh, as the majority population here in these yet to be United States? Um, let me allow me to repeat this. Keep in mind that the fathers and framers of this country were all white. And at the same time, the country was founded. Uh, the slaves were being kidnapped and regularly brought to America uh, of the fathers and framers. Forty one of the 56 signers of the Constitution or at least the Declaration of Independence were all slavers. Uh, Forty one out of 56 that only left 15 people out of 56 who did not at back at the plantation own slaves have some affinity toward slavery while the hypocrisy was many of which outcried um, against slavery they were abolitionists they called themselves but they owned slaves i'm going to do a show on that because there was this tension between the uh, 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 abolition of slavery, uh, leaving those slave owners with the big question, what do I now do? Uh, how do I restore an e uh, equity to people that I once owned? And now how do I go about commerce? And so they were torn and so they made the choice for whatever reason to be abolitionist with their voices uh but at the same time they maintain uh ownership of slaves um it was called peculiar institution it loomed over um lar large over largely over the first few decades of american presidential history i told you this the last time we were together but because we skipped last week i want to bring you back up to speed uh, not only did enslaved laborers help build the White House, all of the earliest presidents except for John Adams and his son John Quincy Adams owned, owned enslaved people, black people. Uh, George Washington kept some 300 bondsmen, slaves, at his Mount Vernon plantation. Thomas Jefferson, we went into this the last time, but just bringing you back up to speed. Uh, despite once calling slavery an assemblage of horrors, quote, end quote, owned at least, and I've done some research that said his ownership of slaves was well over 250 or so, but this report said owned at least 175 enslaved workers at one time. This is the beginning, in my view, of the hypocrisy uh, of rhetoric America uh, in America, which has stained the consciousness of this country, and it lasts all the way to present. Uh, it started back then saying one thing with the mouth, doing another thing with the actions, and while all the time harboring the inequity 
of black and brown people in these fathers and framers hearts. The United States may have been founded on the idea that all men were created equal. But during the late 18th and early 19th centuries, um, again, 1700s, 1800s, slaveholding was common among the statesmen who served as president. All told, at least 12 chief executives or presidents, over a quarter of all American presidents enslaved people. That is um, aberrant when you think of it, that over a quarter of of the of the presidents of this these uh, this country owned slaves. So this is deeply um, cast into the, the the fabric and the thinking, the consciousness, this inequity, this uh, sense that black and brown people are were made by the Creator to be subservient to. Uh, white uh, America. This is deeply carved uh, into the consciousness and the fabric of our country. Um, of these eight held enslaved people while occupying the office of president in these yet to be United States. The majority of the signers of the Declaration of Independence from England uh, were slavers because while they were uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, crafting this document to um, detach themselves from the uh, overuse and misuse of England back at the plantation business was conducted as usual. So there was this, uh, what I call hypocrisy in deeds, uh, conflicts of current uh, concurrent actions, declaration on the one hand, um, enslavement of black and brown people on the other at the same time. Um, again, this is what being American looks like. This is what being an American looks like. Um, again, the we hold these truths, remember, to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, which among these are life, liberty, and, of course, the pursuit of happiness. But the question remains, for whom? For whom were these rights, these inalienable rights uh, crafted? Who, for whom were they designed? Uh, for whom were they representing? Uh, if enslaved people were being harbored and abused at the at most of these men's residences, uh, thusly proving that blacks and browns in America were not viewed as their lives mattering, as did their white counterparts from the beginning of this country. So let's 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 zero down. Let's drill down. Um, even more black lives matter versus all lives matter the statement black lives matter in my mind is one of hopes of equity uh, when we say matter we're covering the issue of equity of equality value to the same degree to the same level to the same scope and score of our white counterparts uh, in every respect uh, in housing and education uh, spiritually speaking, because it's amazing to me that black people so seek 
um, the valuing of their white counterparts that they are still in droves running to uh, white con white led congregations away from uh, black leaders uh, with only the 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 opportunity to do what we've always done uh, entertain sing and buck dance um, uh, you know for for many. It, it, it isn't a, they, while they disagree with the slogan, all um, black lives matter, they do agree that black tithes matter. And so they make certain adjustments that are not in the heart because deeper than this equity that is sought is this inequity that has come from the fathering of this country. And it's amazing. We could just as easily with a few Additional words state black lives matter to the same degree and equally with white lives in America. That's all we're after. Uh, Englishman Thomas Day remarked in 1776, that's a date of note, a year of note, same year the Declaration of Independence was signed with scorn. And I quote, if there be an object truly ridiculous in nature, it is an American patriot signing resolutions of independency with the one hand and with the other brandishing a whip over his affrighted slaves, end quote. There is no denying that the patriots who proclaim it self-evident that all men are created equal tolerated black slavery. It is true that the Declaration of Independence, which so stirringly affirms that God endows Every human being with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was, yeah, I'll get this in a minute, was the work of a Virginia planter uh, who owned 200 slaves. And again, these numbers go up and down. Uh, this is referring to Thomas Jefferson. For example, of this outcry against slavery on the one hand versus owning slaves on the other, by the same voice, he acknowledged forthrightly and repeatedly that slavery, Thomas Jefferson, was wrong. In his notes on the state of Virginia, end quote, for instance, he characterized slave ownership as, here's another quote, the most unremitting despotism, end quote, and outrage bond, bound rather to provoke divine wrath. Indeed, Jefferson wrote, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. So he he knows that the mindset of this country, the the uh, uh, the enslavement of the black and brown in America and the egregious treatment, mistreatment of these people was wrong in that. At some point, God's divine action would cause retribution or reparation for these um, indolent actions. Uh, let's talk. Race and housing policy have long been intertwined in the United States. Um, so race and the housing policy, this, I'm, I'm shifting gears a bit. Black Americans consistently struggle more than their white counterparts to be approved for home loans and the specter of redlining. Uh, 
a practice that denied mortgages to people of color in certain neighborhoods, continues to drive down home values in black neighborhoods. So that's been a, that's been a thorn in the side of people of color in this country. Uh, where the miseducation, the segregation of Jim Crowism affected certain mountains and certain uh, aspects of of the experience of the American experience, home ownership, uh, bank loans, financing, and redlining, causing certain communities to become devalued, so that even if you were to acquire a home the value drops so significantly in certain areas but the more they're occupied by black and brown people so that even your largest investment typically is your home even if you were to resell it you're cheated again you can't get ahead again based on these values because they've knock down the value of your neighborhood so if you were to sell the equity that you sh should be able to um, use to get a foot up, open a business, pay off debts, move ahead, uh, enhance your family, pay off tuition, so forth and so on, just isn't there for black and brown people. Um, even in race, in mixed race and predominantly white neighborhoods, black homeowners say their homes are consistently appraised for less than those of their neighbors stymieing their path toward building equity and that's what this country is afraid uh, of uh, if you'll allow me to use that preposition um, black and brown people ever having a sense of financial uh, equity with their white counterparts because this is dangerous this now makes you um, a viable competitor uh, we'll get more into it Stymieing their path toward building equity and further perpetuating income equality in the United States, which is what I just said. Now, here's a specific story. Abena, A-B-E-N-A, -E and Alex Horton uh, wanted to take advantage of low home refinance rates brought on by the coronavirus crisis. So in June this year, they took the first step in that process, welcoming a home appraiser into their four-bedroom, four-bath, ranch-style home in my hometown, which is one of the more uh, lenient areas of uh, that. Speaking to this racial inequity, and it's always been that way since the Confederacy, Jacksonville, Florida, specifically Jacksonville, Florida. The Hortons live just minutes from the Ortega River in a predominantly white neighborhood of 1950s homes that tend to sell for $350,000 to $550,000. They had expected their home to appraise for around $450,000. But the appraiser felt differently, assigning a value. Watch it. Wait for it for the people in the back of the room. 330,000. They expected their home to appraise for 450,000. The appraiser arrives and assigns a value of 330,000. So that's what is it? $80,000 difference, nearly $100,000 difference. Mrs. Horton, who is black, 
immediately suspected, here it is, discrimination. The couple's bank that's extending the, the loan or the intended loan, the couple's bank agreed that the value was off and ordered a second appraisal. But before the new appraiser could arrive, Mrs. Horton, a lawyer, began an experiment. She took all family photos off the mantle. I've lived through this same experience. We'll get to it another time. She took all family photos off the mantle. Instead, she hung up a series of oil paintings of Mr. Horton, her husband, who was white. And his grandparents, white, that had been in storage. Books by Zora Neale Hurston and Toni Morrison, black authors, by the way, were taken off the shelves and holiday photo cards sent by friends were edited so that only those showing white families were left on the display. On the day of the appraisal, Ms. Horton took the couple's six-year-old son on a shopping trip to Target, Target and left Mr. Horton, who was white, alone at home to answer the doors. You got to take the mixed uh, mulatto child out because the potential appraiser could see, you know, that this is probably an intermarital uh, uh, cross-ethnic group, uh, cross-race uh, situation. So that's probably going to affect the experiment. So we just leave the pure white man, the husband, at home to field all the questions. New appraiser gave their home. Wait for it for the people across the street. A value of $465,000. Not the $450,000 they thought. Not the $330,000 they were given by the white appraiser who comes. But a real value, $465,000. A more than 40% increase from the first appraisal. This article was taken from the New York Times, published August 25th, 2020. All lives matter. Black lives matter to the same degree. Are we worth the same thing? Do we have to take down all family references to being black where you live in housing that is desirable by any racial group, any ethnic group and to, in order to sell if you are a person of color, black and brown, do you have to disengage from your roots, from your ethnicity of which and you are proud and proudly associated in order to sell the home and or forget selling it in order to just have a fair and equitable appraised value. So let's go. Current disparities of inequality affecting people of color. One in five black families compared to one in 10 white families live in food insecurity. So this those numbers are almost double. One in five, one, two, three, four, five black families compared to one in 10 white families live in food insecurity. Four in 10 black children live in households of poverty, which is double the number, again, double the number of their white counterparts. Black families 
<laughs> live in substandard living conditions at nearly twice the rate, again, of white families in America. Black lives matter. All lives matter to the same value, to the same equality, to the same worth. That's the question. Um, one in five black men are not in the labor force. Nearly twice that again of all other ethnic groups in these yet to be United States. While blacks and whites use marijuana at nearly the same rate, blacks are more likely to be arrested at nearly, wait for it, 3.5 times that of their white counterparts. Now, that is a, de a very serious demographic because black people, black and brown people, only are about 14% of the population here in these yet to be United States and whites are 72.6 or 7%, but yet this, and they use, use marijuana at this, nearly the same rates the data shows, but when it comes to arrests for the illegal use of marijuana, black and brown people are nearly arre arrested nearly 3.5 times higher. Those numbers are crazy that's crazy that's a crazy st statistic for every dollar earned by a white worker how much do you, would you think is earned by uh equal black worker doing the same work 75 cents so this means that uh 25 cent out of uh, of of in 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 a comparison of black and whites working the same job uh, where a white man would get a dollar for the same work, the black would only get 75 cents, a uh, 25 cent, a 25 percent, 25 cent uh, disproportion. How do you ever, uh, you already started behind, you already limited with uh, opportunities that were given, regardless of your education, regardless of your mental quickness, uh, regard but then when it comes to earning power, let's keep going. The level of debt of a black college graduate is double that of his white, his or her white uh, college graduate counterpart. The likelihood of an American white woman being arrested in her lifetime is one in 111, one in 111, while that of her black female counterpart is one in 18. All lives matter. Black lives matter to the same degree that white lives matter in this country. A black man over his, in, over his lifetime has a one in three chance of being incarcerated versus that of his white male counterpart being one in 17. These numbers are crazy. 50% and this one really gets my attention. I can't tell you the reason, but it, it just pulls at my heart. And, and, and this is something that if you're outside of the black and brown community, you really wouldn't understand the struggle that's involved with this, the mental uh, anguish, the, uh, the, 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 the aptitude challenges, the 
the, the fights, the internal struggles, uh, emotional struggles that black and brown people have to deal with before they even walk out of the home every day because of statistics like this one. Hear this. 50% of black children born in poverty will remain in poverty for their lifetime. No, 50% of those black and brown people born beneath the poverty line will remain that way for their lifetime. Only, there's only a, a one in, a 50% chance, a one in two chance. So for every two people you'll see, one of them gets out, one of them stays in, while the numbers on the other side of the fence are staggering. Um, this information was based on data and findings from the Black American Inequities Group. Uh, my contention is that the die was cast for these ongoing disproportions by the racist and racial torrid set by the duplicitous actions and the, const and the Constitution of the United States set and framed by the fathers of this country. Um, here's some recent facts I want to get into, and I, I, I'll let you, you tell me, you, you tell me, do black and brown lives matter to the same degree as white lives in this country? Here are just a few recent facts. August 23rd, Kenosha police officer Rustin Shesky shot Jacob Blake seven times in the back. In the back. Now, now would that ever happen? In the white community, uh, the more heinous criminal would not get this kind of treatment. We took Dylan Roof uh, after shooting nine African-Americans in the South Carolina church. We took him to Burger King because he was hungry. Uh, we took uh, the other gentleman in uh, Thomasville, um, Tennessee, I think it was. Uh, we, we, he's, uh, he's accused of being a double murderer. And I did a show on him earlier, and we, we have pictures, photographs of the officers holding the water bottle up, uh, nursing his wounds and, and, and quenching his thirst. Do black lives matter to the same degree? That's all we're after in America. So Jacob Blake shot seven times in the back after he walked away from the officers and was attempting to enter a small SUV with his three children in the back seat, cell phone video of the shooting exploded across social media and ignited a firestorm of sometimes violent, destructive protests in Kenosha in the days since. Blake lies in a fraud hurt hospital, paralyzed, paralyzed, waist down. Uh, Shesky is on administrative leave, the shooting officer as state and federal agents investigate the high profile deaths of a dozen black Americans. Uh, I'm going to give you probably more since 2014. We're just going to look since 2014. These are just the tips of the iceberg. These, these are just tipping points. These are just uh, murders that were uh, uh, enacted by white law enforcement officers. And we know all are not, uh, persons uh, who uh, have negative connotations toward people of color, uh, but those who are good need to um, bring a spoiler alert on those who are not. But because of social media, because everyone's a reporter now, because of 
telephones that have videoing uh, capabilities. We, we're just being made aware more broadly, and we are awakened awareness and being awakened to what has been going on to the, uh, the, the sheer uh, numbers and heinousness uh, that it has been going on since slavery in America. Uh, just visit some of the um, historic uh, places that record um, the treatment, the mistreatment, ill treatment, maltreatment of people of color in these United States. And I visited several. We took over 200 people uh, from our church to the Smithsonian Institution's uh, Institute covering black history in America. Uh, a few years ago, we visited um, by taking members of our church to the Hanging um, Museum in Montgomery, along with another, and I visited across the country. And so I'm just telling you, these are just, th what I'm going to give you are just a few cases, but these cases have uh, gone on for years by the hundreds. Um, here's another fatal encounters, almost all of which were captured on video, so there's no argument here. Uh, Rakia Boyd, March 21st, 2012. Chicago police officer uh, Dante Servin resigned in May 2016 after the police superintendent said he should be fired for killing an unarmed black woman four years earlier. So it takes a while to get around. Uh, that's another story for another day. Servin was an was off duty when he shot 22 I'm just going to call the roll when he shot 22 year old Rakia Boyd she had been walking down the street with her friends when he told them this officer now white officer to black youths um, hmm, told them to be quiet she's 22 years old she's an adult and, and, and he fired when he thought he saw a gun Prosecutors charged serving with involuntary manslaughter. A judge acquitted him in April 2016, saying he'd been improperly charged. Black lives matter. All lives matter to the same equity. Let's call the roll. Eric Gardner, 43, July 2014. Police said they caught Eric Gardner uh, illegally selling loose cigarettes. Uh, I don't know if... I don't know. You tell me if if white lives matter to the same degree as black lives matter when you lose your life selling selling cigarettes now. Just selling, not not stealing, selling cigarettes. Uh, loose cigarettes on the street corner in Staten Island and gave him a warning. Two weeks later, on July 17th, police returned and arrested Garner, alleging he was again breaking the law in an encounter recorded by a bystander. On video, officers grabbed Garner, who was unarmed, 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 and pulled him to the sidewalk. Officer Daniel Pantaleo, Pantaleo, who is white, wrapped his arm around Garner's neck. Garner gasped, wailing, I can't breathe. He was the first one. I can't breathe. Eleven times. Within minutes, he was unconscious. Let's go. Call the roll. Michael Brown, 18. These are all black victims. 
uh, August 9th, 2014, in Ferguson, Missouri, Michael Brown and Officer Darren Wilson encountered one another on a residential street in St. Louis, uh, in the St. Louis suburb. Police said Brown was a suspect in the robbery of cigars. Are you supposed to lose your life for that? It's wrong. Uh, if he stole the cigars, okay, that's wrong. He should have been prosecuted. It should have been handled fairly under the boundaries of the law. But he shouldn't lose his life. He shouldn't lose it. He shouldn't have lost his life. If black lives matter to the same degree that all lives matter, we will be hearing more about this in the white community. And we don't. Notice now, uh, here, we are, here we are. Police said Brown was a suspect in the robbery of cigars from a convenience store. Wilson shot and killed the teenager who was unarmed. Call the roll. Laquan McDonald, 17, October 20th, 2014. Police officers in Chicago encountered Laquan McDonald after responding to a report of someone trying to break into vehicles. Police began following McDonald, who was carrying a knife and used it to slash a police car's tire. When Officer Jason Van Dyke, who was white, arrived at the scene, he got out of his car and started shooting, striking McDonald, count them. 16 times police dashboard camera footage of the shooting showed that the 17 year old was moving away from Van Dyke when he began firing. But the video footage remained hidden by Chicago officials for more than a year. Black lives matter to the same degree, same equity, same law enforcement, same protection under the law. Are the scales of justice the same? Tamir Rice, 12, that's the number after 11, 12, on November 22nd, 2014, a caller to 911 in Cleveland, that's Ohio, uh, reported someone near a recreation center playing with a gun and scaring people. The caller said the gun was probably fake. Quote unquote, this is what the caller said on the 911 call and noted that the person with it was probably a child. Police responded and within seconds of arriving, Officer Timothy Lohman jumped out of his car and opened fire, striking 12 year old Tamir Rice, killing him. The shooting was captured on surveillance video. Rice had been playing with a pellet gun. Authorities later said the information from the call that it was likely he was a child playing with a fake weapon. Here it had not been passed along to the responding officers. Grand jury declined to indict the two officers who responded. Walter Scott, just calling the roll, 50. On April 4th, 2014, Michael Slager, a white police officer in South Carolina, pulled over Walter Scott's vehicle for a routine traffic stop in North Charleston. Scott ran and Slager chased him into a nearby lot. At one point, a bystander began recording the encounter from a cell telephone. The video captured Slager firing his gun at, at Scott as he fled, running away from him. 
I'm not condoning running, fleeing from the police officer. I'm not trying to make right wrong. I won't do that. Right is right and wrong is wrong, but you shouldn't lose your life. That's the reason you have the law. That's the reason you have um, prisons and jails. That's the reason you have uh, a penal system, not for vigilanteism. Not for officers taking the law in their own hands and especially not to the degree that they're taking this in their own hands as it relates to people of color consistently across these yet to be United States. Notice this. Uh, during the trial, Slager testified that he had tried to subdue Scott and said he feared for his life because Scott grabbed his taser during the struggle. The jury deadlocked in December 2016. Prosecutors said they would retry him, but Slager pleaded guilty to a federal civil rights charge as a part of a deal to resolve both both cases. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Sandra Bland, this one hurts. All of them do, but some uh, particularly um, are tearjerkers for me and emotional grabbers. Uh, was a 28-year-old African-American woman who was found hanged in a jail cell in Waller County, Texas on July 13, 2015, three days after being arrested during a pretextual traffic stop her death was ruled a suicide now i'm just going to give you a little stop on that because that's a very involved case and so many questions came out of the sandra bland issue samuel du bois or uh, du bois um 43 just calling the roll here july 19 2015 a university of cincinnati police officer pulled over a car driven by samuel du bois or du bois depending on where you're from near the school's campus for failing to display a front license plate. It's a northern thing. Uh, Officer Ray Tenzing approached the car and soon opened fire, killing Du Bois. Tenzing, who was white, told investigators he was forced to shoot because he was being dragged by the car. In a video recorded by Tenzing's body camera, the officer could be heard telling Du Bois to take off his seatbelt. Du Bois then started the car and Tenzing yelled for Du Bois to stop. The officer pushed his gun through the open car window and shot Du Bois in the head. The car rolled forward before coming to a stop down the street. So now timing is the issue. The video showed you weren't being dragged. Uh, until you shot the man in the head and because of his unconsciousness, he now cannot control the vehicle and you're being dragged after you murdered someone. Now, the actions that these persons took when they were wrong, they were wrong, but they should have been tried equitably and fairly like anybody else in this quote unquote free country. Um, prosecutors charged Tenzing with murder. Joe Dieters, the Hamilton County prosecutor, said at the time uh, that his office had looked at more than 100 police shootings. Du Bois' death was the first, he said, where they were, were uh, where they concluded this is without question a murder. Tenzing's attorney, watch it now, said the officer feared for his life. Prosecutors tried this white officer twice, <laughs> but juries deadlocked in 2016 and 2017. Freddie Gray, 
25. Just call him the roll. April 12, 2015, Freddie Gray was arrested by Baltimore police officers who said he had a switchblade. Video shot by bystanders showed officers dragging Gray, moaning in pain, toward a police wagon and helping him into the vehicle. This one is horrendous. By the time they had arrived at the police station, Gray was not breathing. Gray died a week later after suffering a su- su- suffering severe, here it is, spinal injuries. You're not supposed to have spinal injuries from riding to headquarters or to the police station in a police vehicle, police cruiser. No, something else happened uh, because the injuries don't lie. That a medical examiner said were sustained as he was being transported to the police station during the ride. The driver, Caesar R. Goodson Jr., stopped to put Gray in leg restraints, but Gray... Was not secured with a seat belt or offered medical attention despite his requests, police officials said. Days later, the six officers involved Goodson, William Porter, Garrett Miller, Edward Nero, Brian Rice, and Alicia White were suspended without pay because of his death. Gray's death spurred weeks of protests against police brutality. The medical examiner ruled the death a homicide in Baltimore. State's attorney Marilyn J. Mosby announced charges against the sixth police officer. A judge declared a mistrial for Porter after a jury deadlocked on the charges. uh, Prosecutors eventually dropped charges against Porter, Miller, and White. Rice was acquitted of involuntary manslaughter, reckless endangerment, and misconduct in office. Goodson was found not guilty of second-degree murder, excuse me, second-degree depraved heart murder, three counts of manslaughter, misconduct in office, and reckless endangerment. Nero was acquitted of misdemeanor charges of second-degree assault, reckless endangerment, and misconduct in office. Everybody was acquitted, acquitted. And they were allowed to return to work. Black Lives Matter to the same equity, the same equitable treatment, the same value, the same worth as white lives in America. And you don't want anyone to speak out against this. Alton Sterling, 37, July 5th, 2016, police officer in Baton Rouge shot and killed Alton Sterling. Oh, it's just too much. I, let me just end. Uh, there are more. I'll pick this up next week. There, there's so many more. I, I, I can't close this the way I want to close it. So he, here, let's just resolve this. Let's resolve this. What can we do? What can we do to resolve this seeming inequity of value and worth between the races? One, I must say this. Jesus is the answer for all world problems and conflicts. Now, that may not work for everyone, but I'm telling you, if you'll put your faith in Jesus and have some teaching, uh, some training that is valid and valuable and um, accurate from the scriptures, Jesus will change your life. Now, I'm duty bound to share that one with you. He leads to peace via the Holy Spirit and revelation knowledge. He has knowledge above the clouds that will change every situation beneath the clouds. Okay, that's given. Secondly, how do we resolve any type of ignorance, any type of 
undervalue, any type of inequity, any type of um, of a of an imbalance. How do you how do, how does a coach bring a player up to speed? How does a piano instructor bring someone who knows nothing about the 88 keys into um, the world of music via piano? How do, how do you train anything? Well, you do it through education. You do it through repetition. Schools, homes, homes, schools, churches must become opportunistic in upgrading all races regarding intrinsic value. This has to be modeled and taught repetitively. You, if you can teach a dog, I was speaking with a police officer at one of the campuses last week and he breeds German shepherds and he was showing me his papers and his certifications his, um, for, for breeding and, and even dogs he sold and how much he sold them for and how they can be trained to do this and to do that. If a dog can be trained and brought up to a certain value, uh, he showed me a vehicle that was purchased by the selling of one animal based on the, the dog's pedigree from the, the animal's father. Well, if an animal can be trained out of something and into something else, humans can be trained. But that's just it. There's a training involved. There's an, the involvement of time, experiences, Instruction must come from people who know and not misinstruction from people who think they know. We've had enough of whitewash history. <laughs> we, we've had enough of people taking history. And I, I search for my words because I don't want to be come off as angry. I want to come off as a person who addresses true problems and brings true solutions. Um, so I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. We must seize educational opportunities. Uh, my hour is up. I, I need to close here. So let's just go here.